This week, uh, Trish and I were, I think we were brushing our teeth or something in our bathroom at home and uh, side by side there at our sinks and uh, I can't remember what set it off, but um, Trish spoke to me in a tone that I didn't enjoy. <laughs> and, uh, and so here, here was my great response. Cool down, back off. It was lovely. <laughs> to which she responded, no, you cool down and you back off. And we were off to the races. <laughs> I bring that up because here's the question I want to ask you. I'm a Christian. What is that about? I thought that when I put my life in Jesus' hands, that stuff goes away. I thought after this many years of following Christ, the best version of me possible would show up all the time. It would just be like my charts would be up and to the right. And I wonder if you didn't have the same hope and expectation. Let me ask you another question. Why is there so much division and pride and immorality in the church? What is that about? How do you explain those contradictions? What, what's going on there? Now, you, some of you know we've been in the book of Galatians, and I want to ask you, if you would, to open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5. We're going to be uh, looking at verses 16 through 26. And I bring all this up because these 11 verses, I think, are going to give a tremendous amount of hope and understanding the questions I was just asking. And as you're turning there, if you didn't bring a Bible, that's okay. We have ones here every Sunday in the seat rack in front of you, unless you're in the front row, and uh, page 813, and you can turn to it. You might even beat your neighbor getting there if you do that. But Galatians is about four-fifths of the way back if you're getting used to the Bible. Just so glad so many of you that want to get to know God better and understand what he says in his word. But Galatians 5, 16 through 26, and I, I want you to notice that last week, Pastor Steve set me up by telling you that I was going to preach the greatest message that's ever been preached uh, in answer to what he talked about last week, which was legalism and license. And here's what I want you to see. In the last verse that he preached on last week, verse 15, look at what it says. If you bite and devour each other... Watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. Jeff, if you bite and devour your wife, you will mess up your marriage. Churches, if we bite and devour each other, we will mess up God's church. But it still happens, and we've all been participants in some of it to some degree, haven't we? So there's something going on. And the question on the table, what is it? And how do we understand it? And here's the bigger issue. Some of us have been Christians so long, and we have seen ourselves defeated over and over and over again by some of these things that we just think, well, you know what? The Christian life is a pipe dream. God, God doesn't really ultimately set people free from that stuff. They just have to gut it out, and if possible, make it as less visible as possible. Go underground or ignore it or try and do a whole bunch of other good things that cover it up. And this kind of stuff is going on. So if you haven't been with us at Cherry Hills, here's what we've been saying for the last three years. We believe that God is calling us as a church. We say this as humbly as we possibly can. That he is calling us to declare war on shallow Christianity beginning with ourselves. Shallow Christianity. What's shallow Christianity? Well, today we're going to see in the verses that talk about this thing called the flesh and the spirit. And we're going to see that there's a conflict that Christians face. And all of us have seen it. And when we have that wrestling match with the, with the flesh, some of us become legalistic. And we go, okay, here's how I'm going to deal with this thing inside of me that's real contradictory. I'm going to obey lots of laws, and I'm going to be very moral, and I'm going to be very religious. And other people say, 
hey, I really like that Jesus has forgiven me and given me eternal life. So now here's how I'm going to deal with my flesh. I'm going to do whatever I want, whenever I want. Because it doesn't matter, does it? And Steve talked about this last week. Galatians is in no way teaching us that it doesn't matter what we do. It does. It's just the motivation we do it from is different. And it's not a legalistic motivation, and it's not a license to do whatever we want motivation. It's a different one. Now, love. The love of God working in our lives. So, if you're following along, that's what we saw last week, is that Christ set us free. But, here's the reason why Galatians was written. Just like the Galatian Christians, we can fall back into legalism or license. You know, you can be walking along with the Lord, and all of a sudden, you just become super, super legalistic and self-righteous and proud. I've had. I've fallen back into that before. Or you can get on this whole season where you go, hey, I'm, grace. Grace says I can do whatever I want. And you, those, things are, those things lead to bondage, like we saw last week. So here's what I want us to see. When, when Steve said, what's the answer? Instead of legalism or license. And he said, you know, Jeff's going to tell you next week. Okay? What he meant was, is we're going to come to that, and we come to it now. And friends, this is one of the most practical passages. I just need to tell you, this passage has given me so much hope this week, I can barely contain myself. Not because I, I feel like I have something so much to say, but I feel like I have something to share. And I feel like I have something that might, if you are used to those kind of sniping at each other in the bathroom conversation, I have great news for you. You and I can live more freely in Christ. And here's the answer. The answer is his Holy Spirit. So if you're following along in the notes, only the Holy Spirit of Jesus can make us free to live. Only the Holy Spirit can make us free and keep us free to live a better way. And what do I mean by that? Out to the right, I list Galatians 5, you know, uh, 16 through 18, 22 and 25. If you look in those verses, you're going to see that the Spirit of God is explicitly talked about, named seven times. Now, if you look through this whole letter to the Galatians in all six chapters, I think it's something like 15 or 16 times the Holy Spirit is mentioned. But isn't it interesting, in these 11 verses, seven of those 15 or 16 times, he says, this is how you can know a different way. Steve showed us last week, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. But don't let yourself be taken back into bondage. And the reason he's writing that is because these Galatian Christians, who were Gentile Christians, everybody remember what a Gentile is? Gentile is anyone who's not right. And so these people had no Jewish background. The first Christians were Jewish. So when they heard that these Gentile people were being included in the promise of God, they headed into their church and started going, you're only half converts. You're only halfway there. You've got to become like us. You've got to obey the whole law of Moses. You've got to go through all kinds of ceremony and rituals and things like circumcision and all that. And then maybe, just maybe, you'll have the same identity as we, we do. And so the Apostle Paul spends the first four chapters addressing that and saying, don't let them talk you into that lie. The gospel is Christ plus nothing. Trusting in Christ plus nothing that you and I do gets us started in this relationship with him. Not the law of Moses, not, you know, whatever kind of religious thing, not being in the right denomination, not having the right family back, none of this stuff. By his grace... Through faith, we can know the good news of having a brand new identity and a brand new outlook on life. But they had fallen back into this, and so now he goes, okay. But sometimes people were doing that and saying, but I, I feel so much better about myself when I become self-righteous and moral and legalistic like that. And other people said, you know, what this means for me is I can go just take a swan dive into the cesspool of sin, not have to worry about it. Really? Paul says, and you misunderstand Christianity. That why he, wanted to, he came to set you free from that stuff. Not so you could go back swimming in it again. You misunderstand, that'll, that'll put you in bondage. You forget that? And so, here in this letter, he's writing this, and he comes to the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to spend most of the time talking about what the Holy Spirit can do in your life and mine if we will let him. Because if you are a believer in Jesus, 
then when you put your trust in Christ and what he has done for you, not in your own works, not in your own performance, but what he's done for you on the cross as a gift of grace, the day you did that, you can lay down your scorecard and you can receive his gift of life and you became an adopted child of God with a brand new life, a brand new spirit inside you. The Bible says he gives us his Holy Spirit as a gift to all who believe in him. And so the Holy Spirit's living in many of you. Some of you are here and you're not yet a Christian. In fact, you're not even sure what you think about all this stuff. But I, here's what I want you to see. What this message can mean for you is that it'll help you understand what you have to look forward to if you trust Christ. This is where God will take you if you let him lead your life. And so this can mean a lot to you. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at the conflict that Christians face and then God's way of freedom where we really can know a victory and a power over that conflict and in that conflict, but also practical ways we can do it. So would you read with me uh, verses 16 and 17 that are listed in the notes? And this talks about the conflict that Christians face. So let's start reading some of it now and let's read it out loud, full voice, and hear the word of God together. So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other. Verse 17 continues, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. I just want to say one more thing before we start unpacking this conflict. Part of what Paul's critics were saying in the message that he had taught the Galatian Christians is that if you take away our performance of keeping the law, you open things up for people to just have no standard, no reason to obey, just live by their feelings and impulses and things like that. And Paul says, no, no, no. I'm not saying that. So when he talks about being under the law, now we're not under the law, he, what he means specifically is not that we don't need to obey the law, but being under the law means that I rely on my ability to keep the law. That's what puts me under the law. What takes me out from underneath the law is the fact that Jesus Christ has already kept and fulfilled the law, and now he wants to teach me to obey the law from a different motivation than self-performance, self-salvation. And that's a completely different message. Now you and I do want to obey the law because he's living in us and he's given us a different motivation. The Holy Spirit gives us a hunger and a desire to be what? Holy, completely his, and, and respond to him. But again, not out of guilt, out of a get-to, a want-to spirit, out of seeing the wisdom in his ways, out of understanding that we've already tried some of those things before, and we saw where that jag led. And so now it's a completely different spirit. So please understand, Galatians is not teaching. It is not teaching that it doesn't matter if you obey. God's laws, as we're going to see this coming fall, when we study the Ten Commandments, are wise, and they are true. And they are helpful guidelines for us, but they were never meant to save us by the way we keep them. They were meant to guide us. And that's what God wants us to see. So Galatians, here's the conflict we face. What was going on in the bathroom this week? I'll tell you what was going on. There was a conflict going on. And it was, it was manifesting itself outside, but it was actually something going on inside both Trish and I. Okay? So let's talk about it. Notice he says the conflict is between the flesh, our fallen human nature, if you're following along, our fallen human nature apart from God. Our fallen human nature apart from God. I, I can ask every one of you that are Christians, have you noticed that after you trusted Christ and received his amazing grace and began to walk in this new life, did you notice that your capacity to sin did not go away? Can anybody amen with me? Amen. See, this is, this is what people think. They think that once I become a Christian, I no longer have the capacity to sin. There are whole groups that teach that there's no conflict in the Christian life. It's all God in your life now. There's nothing of your old self still in your life. There's nothing of what someone once called the downward, southbound, gravitational pull going on inside of each one of us. The Bible says, yes, there is. 
You need to understand that what's going on is that now there is a conflict in your life if you're a Christian. Before you were a Christian, there wasn't any conflict because the Holy Spirit wasn't living your life. You might have had some moral dilemmas at times, but even that was a lot of self-interest in making sure your image stayed good or that you had some kind of be able to live with your conscience. But it wasn't because you were in conflict with the Holy Spirit and what he wanted as much as you were in conflict with other ways in yourself. But he says, once you become a Christian, you have this conflict between the flesh and the spirit. So the flesh, what happens? What, like, some of us go, that's kind of a slippery word. I'll just tell you, here's how I know when the flesh is still doing its you know, kind of efforts to exert itself in my life. I am more interested in being right. Oh, am I interested in being right? Oh, do I want to be right? Did I tell you I wanted to be right? There is a proud kind of spirit. I've noticed that when the flesh is working in me, I want to show off. I want, to, I want everyone to go, hey, I put more emphasis on the image, on the outside. The flesh is all about impressing. And the flesh is who we are by natural birth. The spirit is who we are by supernatural birth. The flesh is who all of us are without Jesus. And because of the fall, there, all of us have been affected. You may say, well, I'm a really good person. Yeah? I believe maybe you do some good things and you have some good thoughts. But have you noticed that downward, southbound, gravitational pull? Have you noticed a stubborn streak in yourself? Have, can you relate at all when the Bible says the flesh is at work in your life? Paul said, I used to put confidence in the flesh. Now, this guy was as religious as they come. So you and I can fall off either side of the flesh. We can be super moral and religious, or we can be super immoral and irreligious with the flesh. But either way, it's all about selfish me. It's all about the flesh. But notice he says the conflict isn't just between the flesh, it's also between the spirit. What does he mean by the spirit if you're following along? The spirit means God the Holy Spirit, third person of the Trinity, who's just like Jesus. The Spirit means God, the Holy Spirit, who's just like Jesus. Now, we've taught on this before. We taught a whole series called Overflow back in 2008. You can always go to the website and listen to it. We've taught on this last year when we went through the Gospel of John because Jesus, before he ascended into heaven, says, I want you to know all about the Holy Spirit, who I'm going to send to you. John 14, 15, 16. He is totally amped up about sending us the gift of the Holy Spirit. We talked about this on Easter Sunday when we looked at the baptism passage. Repent, be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins, forgiveness of your sins in the name of Jesus Christ, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. God gives the Holy Spirit to every person that puts his trust in his Son. So you have the Holy Spirit living in your life if you have been born again by his supernatural power in your life. And you know. And now you begin to notice that he gives you different thoughts, different desires than you had before. He actually gives you ideas. You go, wow, I know what I'm like. I, I never thought like that before. Huh, that's interesting. And he is an amazing person. He's invisible. Jesus says he's like the wind. You cannot see him, but you can tell the effects of what he does. And so Paul talks to us about this. He says, this conflict's going on. Now picture this with me. What this means is that even though you and I are Christians, the conflict doesn't go away. It doesn't go down. In fact, it actually may go up. And what happens is, is that when you and I, and some of us are going, drag. Like, that's the reason I, I wanted to become a Christian. I wanted to get rid of this conflict. But this conflict is how God grows us. God actually grows us into conflict. He doesn't take it away. We will not experience being completely free of this conflict until heaven, as Steve's been teaching us when we are glorified. Now we're in the process of being sanctified, being made more and more like Jesus. And God has given us his Holy Spirit to help us in this everyday, ongoing process where sometimes we take one step forward, sometimes we take a couple steps back, but we are walking in a new direction. And this is what he wants us to see. So um, what I hope you'll see in these verses is that these two, the flesh and the spirit, have contrary desires that lead to very different outcomes or results or consequences. These two have contrary desires that lead to very different outcomes or consequences. 
Now, when I say contrary desires, some of your Bible translations say desires. Some of your Bible translations say the word lust. And what's interesting is, is that th both those words don't necessarily help some of us very much. Because desires, are desires in and of themselves always wrong? No. Uh, lust, everyone immediately thinks of sex in our culture. But the point is, is that lust, most of us have a hard time getting our word. It just sounds like a dirty word. But actually what it means, the word epithemia in the Greek means over-desire. It means that we have super desires for certain things. It means that we relate to people and things in a way that's not in proportion to how God made us to relate to those. And so the problem, the reason why we're experiencing so much conflict is because the over-desires of the flesh, even for good things. Friends, is sex bad? No. It is a tremendous gift that God has given a husband and wife to relate to each other and can actually deepen and build their oneness and closeness. It's used in God's way. But what happens is, is that we can easily over-desire it and try and make more of it and say, ah, that's going to make my whole life spin if I can just have that. And what happens is, is when we do that, that's the over-desire, that's the lust, that's the desires of the flesh that pull us in the wrong way. Now, we're going to talk about this in just a second. What this means is every day you're going to have this sense of being pulled as a follower of Christ. And I just want to make sure you're not surprised by that. Paul says is you have to get straight about that. You have to know that's coming your way. You can't live with your head in the sand. You can't act like, but here's the good news. I love what this person has said. As Christians, we still have the capacity to sin, but we have been set free so that we no longer have to give into sin's power. What this means is every time you and I have this pull, as, as, even as Christians, we're going to have thoughts go through our mind. That does not mean we have to act on them. And a lot of people go, oh, well, if I'm feeling this, it must be real. If I'm thinking this, it must be real. No. It may be a pull of the flesh that's part of your old life that's still needing to be redeemed. And so when that happens, you and I don't have to act on it, but we'll feel its pull. At the same time, we'll feel the pull of the Spirit. Many times he is so gentle that he's trying to say, no, no, go this way. And we'll feel that going on inside of us. And he'll say, I have desires for you too. They're good desires. I have plans for you. Come on, I can help you moving this way. You've tried that before. You know that's a dead end road. And he's pulling us this way. And you know what Jesus says? No one can serve two masters. What we have in the United States today is at an all-time high, fleshly Christianity. We have, many of us, are trying to be pleasing to both. And what that does is that, as someone has said, makes it difficult for us to be happy in a bar and at peace in a church. We are conflicted because we are trying to give in to both. And Paul is not saying you have to give in to both. He's saying, know that conflict's coming, and you have a choice. That you can use your responsibility. You can use your freedom. And as Americans, man, we go, bummer! I wanted to have some excuse for the reason I'm acting the way I am. He says, no, you don't have any excuse anymore. Now you can take responsibility. Now you can choose. You can go a different way. But listen to what one person has said about fleshly Christianity. I think this is powerful. What is a fleshly Christian? First, let's clarify what a fleshly Christian is not. A fleshly Christian is not a true believer who struggles with the flesh and is seeking to root out and forsake areas of remaining sin from his or her old life. That is normal. Rather, fleshly Christians are true believers who continue to live largely in the flesh after conversion and are not seeking to forsake their sins and move toward maturity. Significant areas of sin still dominate their lives, but they are content to continue as they are. As a result, they remain spiritual infants whose lives show all too little the transforming power of Christ. And he goes on to talk about the damage that that does when you and I live that way. And if we're going to fight shallow, fleshly Christianity, we need to know what this passage says. And so he goes on and talks about how to understand the flesh and the spirit. So will you continue following along with me in verses 19 through 23? Here's what he says. 
The acts of the flesh are obvious. In other words, he doesn't mean necessarily visible all the time, but he means they're obvious. Even unbelievers get this. Sexual immorality, impurity, which means inappropriate sexuality, debauchery, which actually can be the word licentiousness. Remember we talked about license? That means living in a way that says, I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to live, I'm going to be a pleasure seeker into exhaustion. I'm going to carry it all the way. I'm just going to do whatever impulse or whatever kind of thing hits me. I'm going to live that way. All three of these have to do with living with sexual immorality that way. The next two have to do with even twisted religious things, idolatry and witchcraft. And the word witchcraft literally in the Greek language means drugs. Because so many of the, the kinds of occult practices in those days dabbled in drugs in order to try and get in touch with evil spirits and demonic spirits. And friends, I'm seeing a rise in our country in this. I'm seeing all kinds of stuff, but just know that this kind of stuff, he's saying, this is so obvious what happens when the flesh gets its way in a person's life, even if they call themselves a Christian. Then he goes on, and what I want you to notice is the next eight all have to do with relationships with people. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy. That's an ugly list, isn't it? Notice most of those things are all about me. All about being right. All about showing off. All about getting my way. The last two have to do with alcohol. Drunkenness and orgies. The word for orgies there means carousing parties, drinking parties which are taking place not just on college campuses, but among adults in huge measure. When those are going on, Paul says, you just need to understand, this isn't name calling, this isn't, it's just whenever the flesh gets its way, that's the direction it's gonna lead, and it's gonna be obvious that the flesh is doing that. The Holy Spirit never leads a person that way. So from time to time, we have people that may be living in sexually immoral ways that'll come, we'll talk to them about, you know, hey, Again, we're not trying to make your life small. We're trying to say, if you're a Christian, how can you continue to live in that way? And those people will go, hey, man, it's grace. We'll go, look, we're not trying to put a law on you. We're trying to say, if you want to know God's blessing, follow his spirit instead of your flesh. We could go on and on and on. We could talk about things. There's different sins. We could talk about these. But the ones that are most difficult for us, anybody can pick on that, what I just talked about. It's these relational ones that he seems to be most concerned about in this list. Eight of the 15 all lead us to bite and devour each other. All of them lead us to power up in our families. All of us lead us up to power up in the church. All of us lead us to power up at work so that our whole witness is absolutely messed up. Because people can tell, even in the world, there's no way the spirit of Jesus is leading that person to act like that. No way. So he says, that's what it looks like. Then he puts a contrast. He says, let me show you what happens when the Holy Spirit gets his way in your life and mine. And then he goes to verses. Um, By the way, he goes on and says, I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. I need to stop and say something right here. When he says, I warn you as I did before, and when I was with you and I first introduced you to Christ and the churches got started in Galatia, I told you that anyone that lives like this There's no way that they're going to inherit the kingdom of God. There's no way that they've been born again. And what he means there is not someone who lapses into those things from time to time and is still struggling with them. It's someone who habitually lives like this and is content to stay like that. So if you are in a habitual pattern of any of these things that are mentioned, the question on the table is, have you ever really been born again? Because you cannot continue to be comfortable with that if the Holy Spirit's living in your life. But if he's living in your life, you may still struggle with some of those things, but are you struggling? Because you're still a believer. You still have your identity. You're secure in Christ, but don't use your freedom to keep going that jag. And one of the ways you can show that you're the real deal is by your responsiveness to the Holy Spirit instead of continuing to be content to stay the way you are. So verses 22 and 23, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. There doesn't even have to be any laws against this stuff. 
You know what those nine things, they're one, notice they're not fruits of the Spirit, it's fruit. You know what that cluster of fruit is? That's Jesus. That's the Spirit of Jesus. And so Jesus said, when he said, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit, he's just like me. And when the Holy Spirit's working in your life, he'll give you desires to do the same things I want to do in your life. He's just like me, and he's going to bear this kind of fruit. Now, he doesn't mean human love when he says love. He means God's supernatural love that's sacrificial, that gives itself, even if the other person doesn't give back. And so he's talking about all these things, and he's saying, look what happens when you let the Holy Spirit lead your life. Now you have a love for people you can't even describe. It's not just a feeling. You have an attitude that says, I'm going to give myself to that situation or that person like Jesus wants me to. You have a sense of joy that's not based on circumstances, but that all is well with my soul because God has given me a justified state with him, a peace, not only the peace with God, but peace of God, and all these other things. Notice the words like gentle, patient. That word forbearance means that you and I can hang in there longer with people that are irritating us. Anybody need that? See, the Holy Spirit gives us that power. He actually helps us look at people differently. It doesn't mean we never challenge each other. It just means even when we challenge each other, we have a grace and a mercifulness about our spirit towards people we didn't have. See, now, when my wife talks to me in a tone like that, I don't have to, like, go, I'm going to give it back to you. (laughs) So he says, this is what the spirit does. And notice that he lists, if you're following along, the fruit, nine graces that only the Holy Spirit can grow in us. Oh my goodness, these are supernatural things that he can do in your life. Some of you, you said, man, Jeff, you say something to me or you've been loving to me. I'm thankful if I've ever had a part in any of your lives being encouraging. What you need to know is, yes, I participated, but you know the source of that is not me. The source of that is the spirit of Jesus Christ who he gave me as a gift by his grace. And when I follow him, the chances of you being helped or blessed go way up, way up. So he says, be aware of this conflict. And then he says this. He says in verses 24 and 25, this is how you can know victory in that conflict. So here's what I want you to see. God doesn't take away the conflict, but he gives us power to live differently in the conflict. Therefore, you and I can know a freedom in the conflict that we never experienced or thought we could experience. And I want to talk to you about how that's possible. So if you're following along, notice that God's way of freedom, our part, is twofold. He calls us to crucify the flesh and walk by his spirit. To crucify the flesh and walk by his spirit. And those are weird enough terms that I better explain those in just a second. But let me read what it says in verse 24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and over-desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit and let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Here's what he says. Crucify the flesh and walk by his Spirit. That means every day when you and I get up or even as you walk out of here today and you walk towards your car, you and I have a choice of how we will use our freedom. If you now have the Holy Spirit, you can live a different way. When you have pulls or desires from the flesh, that still remind you of your old life, or that still have been habits that even after a Christian still pull on you. When that happens, you and I can crucify, that means put to death, we can kill, we can cut off, we can turn our backs on those things. We don't have to say, well, I guess I have to do it. We don't have to do that, friends, because God has set us free. Now, most of us go, no, I don't think he has. Yes, he has. The question is, do we want to live in that freedom? Or is really, we still love the flesh? We never ever died for that. We never ever repented of that. We never ever took responsibility for that. Um, Let me just say that Jesus said this. He said in the Sermon on the Mount, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. Throw it away. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Throw it away. And I don't know about most of you, but I don't think I'd be able to see you or be able to shake your hand if I did that literally. Amen? We've all sinned with our hands and eyes, haven't we? So what's he saying? That sounds so drastic. He's saying, don't give 
those things opportunities to keep acting like that. Make a break. Make a clean break. Make a decisive break. But you're not going to continue to participate that way. And that's why Romans 8 says this, or Romans 13, 14, it says, make no provision for the flesh. Again, yeah, sorry, think about it. I may have been quoting the wrong verse too. Sorry about that, Lord. The idea here is don't, don't make any provision for, don't leave the door open. I've shared this before. Maybe this story will help. Portia Nelson writes an autobiography in five short chapters. Here's what she writes. I love this. You'll like this too, I think. I walk, chapter one, I walk down the street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I fall in. I am lost. I am helpless. It isn't my fault. It takes forever to find a way out. Chapter two, I walk down the street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I pretend I don't see it. I fall in again. I can't believe I'm in the same place, but it isn't my fault. It still takes a long time to get out. Chapter three, I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I see it is there. I still fall in. It's a habit. My eyes are open. I know where I am. It is my fault. I get out immediately. <coughs> Chapter four, I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I walk around it. Chapter five, I walk down another street. <laughs> what do you want? What do you want? Do you want the flesh? Or do you want the spirit and the life he can bring you into? Those are moments of truth, aren't they? For every one of us. And so, as we talk about that, crucifying the flesh, if you're paying attention to the notes there, crucifying the flesh is painful, decisive, and daily. Most of us go, man, I, yeah, I decided that back there on that one day, during that one church service, or in that one time of prayer with God. But no, he says, every day, you and I have to wake up and say, am I going to keep keeping the door open for that kind of stuff? Some people go, how come I keep going back to that habit? How come I keep going back to that website? How come I keep going back to that person? You know why? You've left the door open. Or you're not born again. And you don't have the power of the Holy Spirit to set you free. It's one or the other. But notice this. Here's the answer. He says in verse 16, he repeats it in verse 24. His spirit leads, and we give ourselves to walk in step with him. Walk by the spirit, I say. And then also keep in step with the Spirit. Since he's given us the new life, since we live by his Spirit, we can give ourselves to walk in step with the Spirit. Now some people say, all I have to do is surrender to the Holy Spirit every day. And yes, we do. We need to say, I'm totally available to you. I'm surrendered. Show me what you want to do. But that's the passive side. The active side is that we actually need to walk. We need to give ourselves to this. It's an active process. It's not just negative obedience. It's not just saying, I'm done with that, but it's also saying, now I'm going to give myself to a whole new way of life. I'm going to give myself to all kinds of holy habits that actually will bring about a greater kind of responsiveness to God and a sensitivity to his Holy Spirit. And when that begins to happen, it's incredible. Now, I've been waiting the whole message to share what I'm going to do now. I hope you're as excited as I am when I share this, okay? Here's what the word walk by the Holy Spirit, because I don't know about you, but that sounds like doo 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 doo. I mean, it's just so weird since he's invisible, right? Here's what walk by the Spirit means. Walk, this has set me free in so many ways in the last few years. I used to think walk meant walk perfectly. I used to think walk meant walk without mistakes. Walk and don't mess and I'm telling you what, that was crushing. And it threw me back on self-performance. But here's the good news of freedom. Walk equals, and you've heard us use this word many times. Walk means that now you and I can practice being led by the Spirit every day in everything we go through. So let's go back to our bathroom at home. When I began to say, cool down, back off. She said, no, you cool down, you back off. At that moment, I was standing there going, oh, brother. <laughs> this is a disaster. I'm studying Galatians 5, <laughs> and I'm defeated. I would have been defeated if I didn't practice. And that moment, 
the Holy Spirit across the ticker of my mind said, hey, Jeff, remember Galatians 5? You can practice that right now. <laughs> when you and I are not led by the Spirit, what is the answer? To move back being led by the Spirit. So I turned to Trish. This was hard on me, hard on the flesh. But I said, please forgive me for talking so proudly like that to you. That's not how Jesus wants me to talk to you. I'm really sorry. And the atmosphere in the room changed immediately. The biting and devouring that the flesh always produces in me changed. And all of a sudden I realized I'm free. Not free from the flesh, not free from mess-ups, but I'm free to practice. My kids will tell you that I don't always walk by the Spirit, that I don't always fend off the flesh being in charge. They'll tell you that I power up sometimes or I tell them the right things to do in the wrong spirit. But in those moments, the good news is for every believer is the Holy Spirit is close by to say, there's still time to practice. Go that way. You know why I'm a Christian? First of all, because by his grace, God allowed me to be supernaturally born again, even though I didn't deserve it. But do you know what he used on earth to point me towards Jesus? My parents. I've told you many times, my dad sometimes would discipline me in anger. He never abused me, but sometimes he threw an extra one in <laughs> when he was spanking me. And it made me mad. And I remember he'd send me to my room, and I'd be laying there on the bed, and he'd say, I want you to think about what you just did. And oh, I would for about three seconds, but most of the time I was thinking about what he did. And I'd be thinking, if you think I'm going to love you, you have another thing coming. Then my dad, oftentimes within an hour, half hour, sometimes five minutes, would walk back in. Some of you have heard me tell this many times. It's changed my life. And he would go, Jeff, I think you know you needed to be disciplined. What you just said to your mom or the attitude you had, that was wrong. It's unacceptable. God doesn't want you to talk like that. But I disciplined you, I think, in the wrong spirit. Would you please forgive me? And that just wrecked everything for me. <laughs> My plan. See? Does it make sense? I watched how the Holy Spirit got to my dad. And I go, that's what it looks like to walk by the Spirit instead of by the flesh. I don't have that. All I have is the flesh. Jeff being, trying to be good enough and trying to pull things off. And Oh, man. And it pointed me towards Jesus. Friends, you want to tell you what God can do in our families, in our churches, in our homes? He can, he can change us. He can do this. And this is good news. We can be free like we never imagined. And I just want to tell you the grace that can flow when you and I are led by the Spirit. There's no room for boasting about that. You think after I said that to Trish, I go, man, I'm a really amazing Christian. <laughs> if I would have, I would have been a dork. Because I know what Jeff is like apart from the help of the Holy Spirit. There's no room for boasting, friends. There's no room for becoming conceited and provoking each other. But we do it still. When we do it, what are we going to do? Let's walk by the Spirit. Let's practice. The goal of Christian life is not perfection on this earth, unless you mean maturity. That's what the word sometimes perfect means. When Jesus says you must be perfect, he means you must be mature like your father is mature. But the, we're, he, the goal here on earth, we're not going to be made perfect like Steve taught us until we're glorified in heaven. That struggle, that conflict is not going away till you and I are one day completely redeemed and released from this. But he's going to use this to grow us up and to sanctify us in the meantime. So let's talk about yes, but how. Let me bring it home. First question I want to ask you this morning is this. Am I born again? Is Jesus' spirit living in me? While I've been talking... I don't have the power to come to your seat and convince you or persuade you, but God's Spirit does. God's Spirit can show you exactly where you are with Jesus. Are you born again? Jesus said, don't be surprised that I say you must be born again. 
Flesh gives birth to flesh. The spirit gives birth to spirit. That's why, parents, it doesn't matter how well you raise your kids. You cannot make them a spirit-filled Christian. Only God's spirit can do that by his grace. You and I can ask him. Jesus said, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So for years we've prayed, God, we could do everything we wanted as parents, but you only you can give new birth to our kids. Please help them be born again of your spirit. Not so they'll be perfect on earth, but when they go through that conflict, they will have your power. They will have your help. They cannot live the life you've called them to live without your spirit. Friends, Americans cannot believe this. We believe if we just try harder. We believe if we just believe in ourselves, we can do anything. Not true. Not true. We cannot live the Christian life in the flesh. But we try. He says, don't do it. So are you born again? You say, how, do I, how does that happen? You can call on his name. Say, Lord, you're showing me exactly where I am. Would you, by your mercy and grace, give me new birth as I trust in Jesus and what he's done for me. Make me, adopt me by your spirit, redeem me by your spirit, come and live in my life by your spirit. And then here, for those of us that are Christians already, here's two questions. On what am I setting my mind, the flesh or the spirit? On what am I setting my mind? The flesh or the spirit. In high school, after God had done that supernatural work in my life when I was 15, one of the ways that I could tell the Holy Spirit was changing me is I had a hunger for God's word. Before, I just wanted to trust in my own smarts or whatever was popular in the world. And now I found myself, it changed the music I listened to. It didn't mean that I couldn't still appreciate some of the other songs. But now I didn't want my mind to be filled up with all those as much as I wanted God's word to be filling me up and God's music and God's song. All those things started changing. I had a desire to worship Jesus wherever I was. I had a desire just to think about Jesus. I knew something had happened to me. See, that Jeff just never was like that. But here's what happened. One of the verses he led me to in high school, and I shared it on a chalkboard in a class before, uh, in a room before class started. A few of us banded together and a teacher let us meet there to encourage each other, which by the way, you know how you can help be led by the Holy Spirit? Do it with other Christians that want to be led by the Holy Spirit. You can't do it solo. But I remember writing on the board, for the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. What's your mind set on? When you have thoughts from the flesh go on, you know, a lot of us go, well, I'll just try and resist those thoughts. Rick Warren has said it right. When you try and resist a thought like that, you'll drive it deeper into your mind. Instead, the answer is not to just try and resist that thought till it goes away, but to change the channel. And now, put your thoughts on the Spirit and what He wants. And the Spirit will always point you to Jesus. He'll always point you to the Word of God. He'll give you a hunger for obeying. He'll give you a hunger for people and caring about people. That's the difference. And so, what's your mindset on? What are you listening to? What are you feeding your eyes with? What is your mind thinking about? You and I, we can actually choose to participate in this with the Holy Spirit. This is how we actively give ourselves to a new life with the Spirit. And the last way is, am I training my body to obey Jesus Christ? Am I training my body? The Bible says, train yourself for the purpose of godliness. What this means is, if you used to use your hands to steal or to grab or to take, now you can use your hands to serve. If you used to use your feet to go places that were totally self-centered and promotional for yourself, now you can use your feet to go and care and lift up other people. If you used to use your eyes to satisfy your own lust and over-desire, now you can use your eyes to look at people and go, that's a person that God made. How can I see them the way God wants me to see? If you used to use your mouth like a guy in the bathroom did with his wife, you and I can actively give ourselves to use our mouth. Friends, before Christ, I tore more kids in my class down than you can count. After I came to Christ and his spirit began living, he now he said, don't tear down, lift up, build up. I'm not talking about flattery. I'm talking about genuine, encouraging compliments to people. This can happen. This week I was driving in the car and I noticed that I had to, I had to talk about everybody else on the road in front of me. <laughs> I thought, I've been doing this for years. I've even mentioned this to you guys at times. And the Lord reminded me, 
No, Jeff. Moment by moment, keep practicing. Every time you do it wrong, practice. That's what I want to do. So here's what I learned in high school, and then we'll be done. Once I had, the Lord saved me, because I had lived so selfishly, I had used people, I had done all kinds of things. When the Lord brought me to a place of repentance, where I wanted to crucify that and now live and be led by the Holy Spirit, the way I try to start each day is say, Lord, I know what it's like when Jeff's in charge, and I know I can easily fall back into that today. So today I want to give myself to you at the very beginning of this day. No matter what happens, help me to see people, help me to see situations, let me be led by you instead. And I could spend the next 10 hours telling you about things that never would have ever happened if the Holy Spirit didn't make them happen. It can happen in your life, and I pray that you will do that. So would you bow your head with me for a moment and just ask God, where am I? Where am I with this conflict? Where am I with the Holy Spirit? Am I born again? Am I living for the flesh? Am I making excuses? Am I walking down the same street again and again? Or am I actively walking by his Spirit? Now, if you would, sing this song with me. We sang at the beginning. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. people waiting down front here every Sunday. If that would be of help to you, we'd be glad to talk to you. But as you go to your car or as you go the next place, walk by his spirit. Amen.